0: Wonderful. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 16 this morning, like Mark just pray. We're going to continue thinking about money. We're going to continue thinking about uh, material and uh, how it reflects our heart. So, this morning we're in Luke chapter 16. We're going to read the first 13 verses there. Uh, in Luke chapter 16, it is a parable that I'm sure some of you are familiar with, but it is oftentimes confusing. So, Um, That's what we like to do. We like to go to confusing texts and be confused together, and then hopefully, at the Spirit of Christ, figure them out. So, let's go to Luke chapter 16, and again, we'll read verses 1 through 13 this morning. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided to do what uh, I have decided to do, so that when I am removed from my management, people may receive me into their house. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to them, First, how much do you owe my master? He said a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of life. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails them, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteousness, unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this text, God. We thank you that we can come to it and see the difficulties in it for us, God, and that we can reflect on it. Lord, I pray that it would cause us to be uncomfortable and maybe even irritated this morning, that that we would see Jesus tell the story of a dishonest manager and who is commended for his shrewdness. His we got to be recognized when we come to the pages of Scripture, when we look at the parables, when we look at the stories that Jesus told, when we consider what the Bible says to us about money. God, either we are annoyed by it, we understand it, or God, we are just simply out of check. Lord, I pray that you would develop us through your word. God, that you would transform us into the image of Jesus by it and through it. God, we thank you that that is its intended purpose in our life. And its intended purpose is to point us to a holy God. In and of ourselves, we cannot approach him, Lord God, but by the blood of Jesus we are able to. God, as so we look at this text this morning and we want to consider what it means for us, the implications it has on our life. And we are grateful We praise you we exalt the name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. So like I said, we're in our fourth week considering thinking about money. We're talking about finances. And if you haven't been with us, we think about finances and we say, oh no, here it comes. Here comes the push, um, the demand for, for money. Um, I'm going to put your mind at ease again for the fourth time that that's not what we're doing. We're not here demanding Money, we're not interested in your money. What we're interested in is that you be a devout follower of Jesus. That your discipleship be amplified. That you be an individual who counts the cost of what it means to follow Jesus and takes that to uh, the most extreme end that you are that you are called to by Him. So last week we talked about stewardship, uh, and that all we have belongs to God. He created it all. We ha- He He gave it to us. We have it. To use for a short period of time. It is not ours. It belongs to him exclusively. We want to use the things that we have, the resources that we have, the money that we have, the talents, the time, uh, and everything that we have in a way that honors him. And we read in Psalm 24, if the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, then we are caretakers, stewards based on God's purpose for us. We saw that in Genesis chapter 1, that he gave Adam a purpose. He gave him dominion over all of his creation and said, go manage this, steward it, care for it. And that is the purpose that we have, to steward all that God has given to us in order that we might bring him glory. That is our intended purpose. That's why God created us. We've been thinking about how Jesus holds this big mirror up to our heart and it exposes who we are, right? It exposes who we are. Like on Sunday morning when videos don't work, he holds a big mirror up to my heart and exposes who I am, right? So like Mark said, don't be frustrated. And I said, well, I am frustrated. This video won't work. <laughs> okay, I got that off my chest. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I feel better. I'm trying sure to confess to you that I am a messed up person, uh, when videos don't work, that's a mirror. So, Jesus holds a big mirror up to our heart, and there is no clearer mirror, clearer mirror for us than the mirror of finances, of money. If we want to see what we truly believe, if we want to see who we really are, we look at our bank statement, we look at our credit card statement, we look at the cash in our wallet, and we think to ourselves, how are we using this? How are we using what God has given to us? And so the question then becomes, if Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Also, are you moving toward your treasure? If your treasure is in heaven, then as time moves on, as time ticks on, you are getting closer to your treasure if your treasure is in heaven. If your treasure is here on earth, or moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, then you are, as time moves on, moving away from your treasure. And if you are moving away from your treasure, then you have reason to despair. Good question out of that. Like, just practically, are you withholding and stingy as an individual, despite the fact that God has generously and freely given you all things? We looked at Romans 8.32 in week 2 of this study, and we talked about the fact that God has given us all things necessary for salvation. So if God has been so generous towards us, then why on earth would we be withholding? Why on earth would we be stingy? He has not withheld anything, including his own son. So the relationship of all that we've talked about, in the first week we talked about the treasure that Jesus talked about, in the second week we talked about generosity, last week we talked about stewardship. So if I could sum everything up that we talked about in sort of one sentence, I would say this. How you use money... Indicates the position of your heart, that mirror concept, right? How you use money indicates the position of your heart by working out the truth of the gospel in faithful management and generosity of all that you have been given. Let me read that again. How you use money indicates the position of your heart by working out the truth of the gospel in faithful management and generosity of all that you have been given. The truth of the gospel is that God has been generous with you That God has, if you are in Christ, given you all things. Not all physical things, but all things pertaining to your salvation. All things that are necessary for you to enter into his presence for eternity has been given to you freely. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. There is nothing that can can take that away from you. Nothing can pluck you out of his hand. So how you use money indicates the position of your heart by working out the truth of the gospel, that truth that I just spoke to you, the truth of the gospel in the way that we manage and the way that we are generous with the things that we have been given. So this morning's time together... We look at this passage and we think to ourselves, what on earth, Jesus, are you talking about? And I think exactly, and that's exactly what the disciples thought. Because if we look in chapter or in verse 1 of chapter 16, he says, he's speaking directly to the disciples. And they're thinking, Jesus, you have literally gone insane here. Because the story you tell about this guy, he's, he's unethical. He doesn't have anything going for him. He is, he is the worldliest of worldly, and yet... The point of the, the, the parable is that the master, his boss, commends him despite his dishonesty for his shrewdness. A word that probably is something that we don't think of positively in our, in our world. So, so Jesus has a pretty clear message for his disciples here though. And and again, maybe it's not clear at first glance in this text, but but when we dive deep, I think it relates back to the statement that I just made and the things that we've talked about so far um, as we've considered our money. And I think it could be very summed up in a a sort of way, um, Jesus is saying, don't be ridiculous, don't be silly, don't be stupid don't do things that you as a person um, as one whose citizenship is not here on earth um, why are you acting like your citizenship is here on earth when it's actually in heaven so coming out of Luke chapter 16 this morning then there's this big idea for us and I'm kind of giving away the whole sermon right here so so listen up and then and then you, you could shut down but please don't that would that would not be good okay so let just just listen to this thing. If those, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. If those whose treasure is here on earth are smart about that treasure, if those whose treasure is here on earth are smart about that treasure, then those whose treasure is in heaven should also be smart about that treasure. Very simple, it's just an if-then statement, right? If those whose treasure is here on earth are smart about that treasure, then those whose treasure is in heaven should be smart about that treasure too. So let's just think about a few things in Luke chapter 16 here, the first 13 verses. Just, just make a couple of observations. And again, I think I pointed this out just a second ago, but I think this is important. The first thing for us to consider is that verse 1 of chapter 16 is spoken to the disciples. So this parable is for those who are following Jesus. He is giving this to followers of Jesus and saying to them, hey, this is, this is an important thing I am about to tell you as a follower of Jesus. And he tells, again, this weird story, this weird story. This guy wakes up, he goes to work, he gets called into the boss's office. Maybe he sits down and has coffee with his wife in the morning. She says, what's your day look like? And he says, well, I have a meeting with my boss. And she says, oh, what's that about? I don't know. He gets into his boss's office and the boss sits down, sits him down and he says, hey man, thanks for your work, clean out your desk, you're gone. You're gone. Here's a a cardboard box, or if you like police procedurals, you're a loose cannon, turn in your badge and gun. That was a joke. So ultimately, the reason he's let go Is because he's been mishandling his master's funds, right? And the manager said to him, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? And that's where things get a little sticky, a little dicey. He gets the boot, but then he gets his stuff together. He he sort of organizes everything, packing up his desk. He's saying, what am I going to do here? Um, He calls some folks who owe his boss money, and then he reduces their debt. He reduces their debt, they pay up, um, and he sends them on this way. Now, there's a couple explanations here, because that doesn't make a whole lot of debt. Why would his master commend him if he slashed the debt? He's like, well, I didn't collect all that, you didn't collect all that you were supposed to. So there's a couple of things in play here. There's a couple of things that, that his hearers, the disciples, as Jews, would have understood just culturally. Um, first is that Jews were not allowed to charge interest on a Lord. It's given to us in the law. We see that in the Old Testament. Jews are not allowed to charge interest on a loan. So, being shrewd or um, worldly in a sort of way, um, this is called usury. But, but what, what people would do then is that they would say, hey, I'm going I'm to give you some, uh, this, is a, this is we're doing a deal here for oil, we're doing a deal here for wheat, and uh, hey, uh, I'm just going to mark up the initial price. So, you're paying interest over the long term, but it's on the initial invoice. You see it right there. And it's just, and, and so, the markup here, as we see, because he says, hey, go ahead and write half of, he said 100 measures of oil. And we don't need to get into all the economics of this, but he says, write 50. So, the markup on oil is 100%, right? 100% markup, he just marks it up and, and gives it so that he doesn't appear to be charging interest. So there's some shady business going on at every level here. Same with the wheat, 20% markup. He says, "Write 80, write 80." There's 20% markup there. So the manager saw this markup, and then what he does is he sort of exposes his boss. He exposes him. He 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 says he says, "Hey, um, hey, just go ahead and write this." And then they're like, "Oh, I see that there was a markup there, and he's okay with me just collecting the initial, the initial, the initial funds out of this." So he exposes his boss, uh, and the boss then, as a, as a Jew, as presumably a Jew, could be incriminated uh, for circumventing these laws about usury. So the manager acted shrewdly, he put his boss in a tough spot and got in good with his boss's clientele. You see, he asks even the question, uh, "I am not strong enough to dig." Uh, he, he just says, "What can I do then?" In verse four, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he cuts, he cuts out this 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 inflated cost, exposes his boss, and then ultimately gets in good with his boss's clientele. There's nothing got dirt on it. They've got dirt on it. Man, this is completely shady on every lover. And the point isn't necessarily in the details of all that. I give you sort of the details of it. But but that he acted in a shrewd way. And that's ultimately why he's commended here. He's ultimately commended because he acts in a shrewd way. It benefited him and his position. And if he was going to be without a job, he could live on the hospitality of those whose debts he had slashed. He's just like, his boss is fine. him, thanks, man, for helping me save some money. Why don't you bring your family over for dinner? We'll hang out and watch football. it will be good. He's, he's, he might be jobless, but at least he's got some friends. So this is what it means. This is, this is what the, the, the text means. This is where we're left scratching our head, right? Like, what on what on earth, what on earth Jesus? Like, this seems so bizarre. But Jesus really wants to communicate just a few very specific things coming out of this text. I wanted to note, first of all, and this is an implication for us this morning, that the dishonest, the dishonest manager used what he had been entrusted with to prepare for his future. The dishonest manager used what he had been entrusted with to prepare for his future. He wanted to be welcomed into the homes of people who uh, owed his boss money. And What is the conclusion Jesus wants us to draw here as he speaks this? That people should live in light of, the people of light should live in light of eternity. Should live in such a way as followers of Jesus should look at their eternity and say, How can I make sure that I'm working towards this future? They should want to be welcomed into eternal dwellings, like Jesus says in verse 9, And I tell you, make friends of yourself by means of the righteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Um, D.A. Carson, a, a pretty prominent modern theologian, writes this, The idea is not that we can buy heaven, but that it is unimaginably irresponsible not to plan for our home. When even the people of this world know how to prepare for their future homes. So Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, this is kind of like our second implication. He's saying, look at these worldly people. Look at this dishonest manager. Look at the people of this world. Their treasure is here on earth. Their treasure is here on earth, and they're really good at working towards it. They're really good at working towards it. How can We learn from that. What can we learn from that? Well, first we understand that their earthly treasure, if it's here, then like we said at the outset, they're moving away from that treasure, so they have room to despair. They're despairing because they're moving away. They're trying to tighten their grip, and it's slipping through their fingers. I've never done this before, but I'm, I love Star Wars, so I'm going to quote Star Wars here. <laughs> Right before the Empire destroys Princess Leia's home planet of Alderaan with the first Death Star in Star Wars New Hope, she says to the Grand Moff Tarkishes, The more you tighten your grip, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. So she says it in a British accent before she switches. So there's a piece of trivia for you. That's what it's like And people of earth The people who are worldly The people who are not in Christ Their treasure is here on earth And they're trying to clamp down on that treasure And they're really good at clamping down on that treasure And they're really good at holding on to it the sons of this world are always concocting ways. This is the, the terminology, right? In verse 8, halfway through verse 8, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And what Jesus is saying is the sons of this world are always concocting ways to tighten their grip on earthly treasure and in many ways are incredibly shrewd about it, despite the fact that they're it's all going to burn up and it's all going to blow away. Let me give you a couple of examples of Earthly, worldly, shrewdness. Um, Pele, Pele, thought to be like maybe the greatest soccer player of all of all time. Um, in 1970, he was paid 120,000 dollars to tie his shoes before a before a match in the World Cup. Um, this is I just read this, this is from Business Insider. Hans. Henningsen, a representative for Puma, approached Pele before the 1970 World Cup. Before the opening of the final match, Pele was at, asked officials for a moment to tie his shoes before beginning the play. All of the world watched. All of the world watched as Pele got down on his knee and he tied his Puma sneakers, and everyone saw that he was wearing Puma sneakers, and they had launched into the forefront of sneaker wars in the 70s. They were selling. Tons of sneakers because of that one thing. This Hans Henningsen guy, that guy deserves a medal. He just said, he said, hey, what am I going to do? I'm going to I'm going to go up to him and say, here's $120,000. We're going to make millions based on this one thing, well, this small snippet of exposure. That's shrewdness. Many of you even know this one: Henry Ford, and when he began his assembly line and all that stuff was happening, he he began to pay. His employees, his workers on the assembly line double of what they could get anywhere else. He paid them double. He was like, how could he do that? Well, he could do it because well, and then he also he cut, he slashed the workday by one hour, and by doing that, he created the middle class in America. And by creating the middle class in America, he made a way for people to afford the vehicles that he was himself making. And so he sold a ton of vehicles because he created a class. If it wasn't there, I'm just going to create a whole new pool of people who can afford to buy my cars. And here's, here's another one. Do we remember the, the Chilean miner situation in 2010? They were stuck down in the, in the mine. Um, I'll just read you this quote. In the midst of the Chilean mining disaster of 2010, Oakley, the sunglasses, Oakley donated 35 pairs of sunglasses to the miners before their rescue. Glasses which retail at $180 a pair. Okay, When the miners emerged from the capsule after 69 days, most were wearing the protective eyewear. Oh boy, they didn't see the sun for a really long time. They come up, have got these on. That's really philanthropic. Thank you, Oakley. Wait a second. They set the glasses to protect their eyes from the sun. After not having been exposed to the very extent for a, to it for a very extended period of time, CNBC reported that 41 million dollars in equivalent advertising time between live coverage and recaps, and a, as a rough estimate of the audience watching around the world, was secured by the brand. Yeah, 40, that's like that's like, I think it was like a Super Bowl commercial spot cost like a million dollars. It's 41 41 spots during the Super Bowl. It's incredible. That is, that is shrewd. That's shrewdness. These people are being shrewd. They're saying, hey, how can we gain an edge here? Just like, the, just like the dishonest manager in Luke chapter 16. How can we gain an edge in the world that we exist in? And you can't look at these stories of what happens in, in modern times and think to ourselves that Jesus is exactly right. Look at these worldly people. Their treasure is here on earth, and they're really good at securing it. They're really good at working towards it. So the implication then comes out of this, and what we want to what we want to key on this morning for us as those who are in Christ, look at yourself, follower of Jesus. Your treasure is in heaven. Jesus says to them in verse verse nine. Uh, Or no, in verse 8, I'm sorry, again, halfway through verse 8. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of life. He says, look at you yourself, follower of Jesus. Your treasure is in heaven, not here on this earth. Your treasure is in heaven, but you're really terrible at working towards it. And in fact, it doesn't take a a genius to see that Christians in our world are legitimately the least shrewd people. Legitimately the least shrewd people in all of the world. Many of us in this room demonstrate that we are incredibly foolish when we look at this text because we are not working towards our treasure in heaven. We are acting as those whose treasure is here on earth. We do... Tons of things in our everyday life that moves us, that moves our heart further and further away from our treasure rather than closer and closer to it. First of all, we neglect the word of God. If God has given you a revelation of himself to us so that we might know him, we might know him through this. That is what this is. We can know him intimately we complain about it being hard to understand. We say, man, I don't understand this. And so we toss it on the shelf, and we say, we don't have enough time in our day to engage it. It collects dust. And I'm telling you, it is shrewd to do everything that you can to know God through His Word. We're working towards our treasure by spending time in God's Word. Many of us neglect community. God has chosen to preserve you through the means of others who love you and point you to the truth of the gospel. But our, we let our social anxiety rule us. We let our calendar rule us. We let our differences in personality rule us. We refuse to acknowledge that if we are in Christ, we have a common identity in Jesus. It is shrewd to do everything you can to engage with God's people to be pushed to know God more, and to persevere. We neglect to give freely, even as we talked about generosity. God has promised to provide, in your word, in His Word, He has promised to provide for all of your physical needs, everything that you need to get through your life, And then he has also promised to secure eternity for you in Christ. But we hold onto our money tightly and we say, no, I'm withholding. I don't want to let this go. It is shrewd to give as freely and as generously as possible, as regularly as possible in response to God's generosity towards you. We neglect the mission. God has given you an an identity as his ambassador, but we don't want to make others feel uncomfortable, or we don't want to feel uncomfortable ourselves. We think that it will make our relationships with other believers strained and awkward. It will. It is shrewd to proclaim the truth of the gospel as often as you have the opportunity. Or we neglect to love our neighbor. God is Shown us incredible mercy in Jesus, plucking us out of death and moving us into life, calling us just like Jesus called to Lazarus, come forth. We elevate tasks above people and walk out on the other side of the road so we've got somewhere to go, something to do. It is shrewd to show mercy in the same way you have been shown mercy. And ultimately, what this all boils down to is the fact that we, as those whose treasure is in heaven, but living like treasurers here on earth, we neglect to glorify God because He has created us for the purpose to bring Him glory by having dominion over all that He has created. But because of our sin, we are incapable of doing that, what we are created for. But God sent Jesus to recover our ability to glorify God This is what it means for those of us who are outside of Christ to then be brought into the family of God. Beforehand, you are incapable of bringing God glory in any capacity at all in your daily life. But God sent Jesus so that you might recover that ability to bring God glory. We trust Him because now we can achieve our purpose. Again, there's so much hand-wringing that goes on in the Christian community. We read pages. So much ink has been spilt over the factors. What is my purpose? Who am I? Purpose-driven that. Whatever, whatever. Your purpose is clear. It is to bring God glory and to enjoy Him only. Amen. We fail to bring God glory when we refuse to acknowledge Him in our daily life. We fail to bring Him glory by finding satisfaction in things other than Him. We fail to bring glory to God when we worry. We fail to bring God glory when we ignore His commands. We fail to bring Him glory when we ignore His promises. So in order for us to move beyond this neglect, the neglect through the word of God, the neglect to community, the neglect to give freely. the neglect to live on mission, the neglect to love our neighbor, the neglect to glorify God. In order for us to move beyond this neglect, we must begin to believe that the truth of the reality of our world that we live in is shown to us in God's word. It must believe that what we see around us is going away. It is not going to exist for eternity. This building might not exist for another hundred years. That's nothing. The spiritual reality of our world is ongoing. We need to exchange the physical reality. It's not that physical reality isn't a thing. It's just that we need to exchange the, the heightened awareness of the physical that we have for, the, for a heightened awareness of the spiritual. We must see that the gospel is the most precious thing that we have been given. Is it the most precious thing that you have been given? We must find joy in Christ and in Him alone. So one question for you, as you go about your week this week, when you make a decision, do you consider the earthly and the temporary, or do you consider the the heavenly and the eternal? The question is this are you being stupid or shrewd do you say yeah I'm going to take that promotion even if that even though it's going to pull me away from my family more my kids can't go to a better school then and we can drive nicer cars and we can build a bigger house and we can finally go to New Zealand to see where Lord of the Rings was filled Lord of the Rings and Star Wars you're considering <laughs> the earthly and temporary and not being true you're the opposite of shrewd. You say, yeah, I'm going to load my calendar to the brim. Every night of the week is going to be jam-packed. My weekends are going to be dedicated to leaving town every single week. Sure, I won't be able to connect with the local church or diligently spend time in God's Word or point my family to Jesus, but that's fine. So one thing that we deal with here, I think, and, and I, it's just cultural, maybe it's everywhere. I don't know. I, I don't know. But people are commitment nervous, right? They feel nervous about committing to something. Some of us are just really apprehensive about being connected to this body. If we're small, that's fine. You can know everybody, it's great. But we still feel uh, nervous about being connected here. And really, I'm here to say that that's not okay. It's not okay. And some of us make commitments, we put things down on our calendar, we're just downright unfaithful. I'm guilty of it. Everyone's guilty of this. And as those who are created in the image of a faithful God, He gives us all of His promises and He's faithful to keep all of those. As those, of, those of us who, as those who are created in the image of a faithful God, we ought to seek to be faithful to everything that we set our minds to. And I think part of the problem is that we're just loaded down so much, we're so busy that we can't be faithful to any of them. We do a million things, and we do none of them well. This is just, these are just like American. This is just fundamentally American to do so many things, to be stretched so thin, and then not to do any of them well. And that might not be, we might have a high capacity for things. But I think that's an admonition to us all, that we need to just sit down, look, reflect at our calendar, and say, hey, what's going on here? How many things am I doing, and am I doing any of them Well, if this goes on, for, if I push this out for a couple of months, is it going to break me? Really, there are three things, and I believe this strongly, and, and you think, well, you're the pastor, so you've got to say this. But I believe this at the core of my being. There are three things that are the most important things in which you should be committed to. These are all relationships. None of them are meetings. None of them are calendar items. You should be committed to knowing God, you should be committed to your family, and you should be committed to the local church. Those are the three things that you should first be committed to. Why do I say this? Because of Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. It is stupid. It is not true to elevate anything else to, to that level. It is shrewd to know God through his word. It is shrewd to disciple and to speak realities of the gospel to your spouse and children and parents and grandparents and grandchildren. That is what it means to store up treasure in heaven. It is shrewd to invest your time. It is shrewd to invest your talent. It is shrewd to invest your money. In the local church, it is stupid to ignore God's revelation to yourself. It is stupid to elevate activities, events, programs, work, comfort, leisure over intentional gospel-centered time as a family. It is ridiculous to treat the church as a vending machine, to take from but never to give back, to ignore the mission of the local church to make disciples. It is not completed without a thorough and consistent investment. So the admonition then coming out of this, this morning, is this. Let's press one another to be shrewd. Let's think about the fact that our spiritual reality and the heavenly treasure that we have is far greater than anything that we have here on earth. And consider that treasure first. To invest and enjoy all that God is for us in Jesus. Not to invest and enjoy uh, everything that we have here physically, but to invest and enjoy all that God is for us in Jesus. If all of this is taken away, are we broken because we invest in earthly things, or are we brought joy because our treasure is in heaven first? And investing in the local church as we seek to carry out the mission to make disciples... If Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 18 through uh, 20, yes. He says, go therefore. But before he says go therefore, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Again, we wring our hands because that truth seems so far away. But Jesus said that first. And then he gives us a purpose, he gives us our mission. So this morning then, as we move out of this, just consider for yourself this week. Just consider the question when you're making a decision, any decision, should I get coffee, should I drink tea? Should I I don't know. Should I get this job or not? Whatever, whatever decision it is that you're making. When you're making a decision, do you consider the earthly and temporary? For the heavenly eternal. Let's move as a body away from this. Let's move away from looking at ourselves and, and saying our treasure is in heaven, but we're really bad at working towards it. Let's be really good at working towards it. The fact of the matter is this, too. That no matter how long we spend here on this earth, we will never get there. We will never get there. We as a people are incapable of being shrewd, and so we look to Christ. If we look, if we consider the fact that Jesus came to earth, God came to earth, took on human flesh, lived a life that was perfect, died a death that was undeserved, was put into the ground, rose again, ascended into heaven as ruling and reigning at the Father's hand. we consider like the first half of all of that it seems stupid from a worldly perspective. It seems really stupid. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? It is true for God to do that because of eternity, because he is working, he's orchestrating all things to bring himself glory. That's right. It is foolishness to those who are perishing It is a stumbling block. And so when we are not shrewd, when we do not work towards our heavenly treasure, but work towards our earthly treasure, we understand that we can look to Christ, we did this perfectly, and who never for once questioned it, So this morning then we're going to move to the Lord's table. We're going to spend some time just reflecting on what we've talked about this morning. Maybe just reflect on your week where you're at. we want to do this together as a body. We want to remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember the bread, His body, broken on our behalf so that the righteousness of Christ, that perfect life that He lived, that we are capable of living could be given to us, could be granted to us. We take the cup and we drink the blood of Jesus and we the juice and we think to ourselves, this is the shed blood of Jesus that washes my sin away. In this way, I can stand before a holy God and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of any merit of our own, not because we act shrewdly, but because Jesus did. Not because we as a people have the capability of conjuring up or or, or or bringing about righteousness in ourselves, but because Jesus Christ did. That is why we're here. We're here to exalt Him first. These things were done so that we could enjoy Jesus and work towards the treasure that is, isn't here on earth, but is contained in heaven. We want to enjoy Him together this morning. So just... Close your eyes and just think for a second. I'm just going to say a couple more things here, um, just by way of logistics. From this table, this time is for followers of Jesus. If we, as, as those who are followers of Jesus, have trusted Him, have trust, trusted the shed blood of Jesus, and understand that we are clothed in His righteousness, then I invite you to participate together this morning with us. If you as an individual are unsure about where you stand before Jesus, I would just admonish you to not, just to, to stand back and just to, to observe. No one's looking at you, no one's judging you, no one is going to think to themselves, look at that guy, he's not taking it. What is that about? I would also like for parents, you have children here, just to exercise discretion uh, for your children. Uh, if they have made a profession of faith, um, welcome them to the table. Again, we do this as a body, um, not because um, it imparts anything to us by default, but because it points us to the grace of God granted to us in Christ. So when you're prepared, when your heart is ready, worship team is going to play. When you get there, just come on forward, grab the juice, grab the bread, participate in the elements together up here take them back to your seat when you're prepared to take those elements, go ahead and do that just reflect on God's goodness towards you in Jesus Christ reflect on how you can be shrewd how you can work towards the treasure that you have in heaven not the treasure that's here on earth